Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz. The NFL Scouting Combine is underway with interviews, measurements, and medical exams going on for the first few days. On Tuesday, coaches and general managers spoke to the media, and general manager John Schneider and head coach Pete Carroll were among them. Joining me to talk about some of the things we heard today is Bill Alfstead of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Bill, welcome to the show. Brandon, thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. I, uh, I've always wanted to come on your show and <laughs> just so happened you landed in my inbox and on Twitter and asked me to join you this week. And uh, so thanks a lot. Yeah, it sounds like uh, we might be doing a show together on, on your show, too, coming up. So I appreciate the invite there as well. And I'm glad that we could kind of come together, too, around the NFL Combine, because, you know, this is the first time in the offseason that we get to hear from Pete Carroll, John Schneider. You know, after the final game, we get to hear Pete Carroll kind of do that closeout press conference. But it's always at this particular press conference that we get an idea from Pete Carroll and John Schneider on where the team is going to move forward. And I want to start with John Schneider because he took to the podium Tuesday morning and the message was loud and clear. Uh, hearing from John Schneider is that we need to improve our pass rush. And uh, I think all of us as fans watching the season, we we knew and, and had that idea that they were going to need to do that. But I, it's it's a little bit of a comfort just knowing that uh, they're aware and it it did come across as the top priority. I think you hit it right on the right on the head because uh, that was the one thing that I was looking for. Like, what signals are these guys going to send out today that let us know a little bit of an insight as to what they're thinking? And sure enough, they just pretty much came right out and said it. He just said pass rush will be a priority. I mean, he didn't really have to expand much onto that. Um, and, and that was enough of a takeaway for me. And then, uh, you know, we'll get to Pete Carroll later, but Pete basically said it, you know, two or three separate times, mm -hmm. uh, reiterated that point. So, uh, but you're right. Your, your opening statement, uh, this is the first time we had a chance to, uh, to hear from them since, uh, mid January. And it's good to kind of be back in the, in the mix of it, you know, uh, you get excited about the combine, you get excited about these press conferences. They don't say a lot, but what they do say is usually really important. Well, and you know, listening to John Schneider's press conference, a lot of those questions that he got, he was, he was very careful to try and answer and came right out uh, multiple times and said, you know, that's not something I really want to talk about. Obviously he wants to keep a lot of the information close to him. I know you, you hear some of the beat reporters that are there ask the questions and, and he always seems to make the joke, you know, Oh, I'll just go straight down my list of priorities. How about that? And <laughs> essentially give it away. But you know, you do get a sense though of the way they talk about things and, and uh, just where they might be going in the off season. And a lot of questions about free agency specifically with the defensive line, free agents, Jadevian Clowney, Jaron Reed, of course, it wasn't a shock to hear that they are interested in in trying to bring back Jadevian Clowney. But one of the things that jumped out at me is when he was asked about Jaron Reed is just the definitive statement from John Schneider is that we definitely want him back. That's the exact quote. Uh, and and I wasn't surprised at that. I mean, you do want to bring Jaron Reed back if you can. Sure. Now, he has mentioned the fact that he wants to get paid. I don't blame him. He's not going to be a market setting kind of a defensive tackle. But it looks like he wants at least $10 million a year. I'm not sure if the Seahawks want to do that or not. I know that if he goes out and tests free agency, doesn't find what he's looking for. I don't think the Seahawks would be 
um, would, would turn him away on like a one year deal, uh, pay him 8 million bucks one year. Let's prove it. Let's get that suspension thing out of the way. Uh, let's play a full 16 game schedule and let's see what you got. Go earn a paycheck, whether it's from us or whether it's from somebody else next year. Uh, give us what you got this year. I think it's either, you know, 50, 50, 75, 25 that we actually bring John Reed back. It would be a good deal, I think, for the Seahawks. And trying to assess, you know, which one is more likely between Clowney and Reed or maybe both to come back. You know, I think it does have a lot to do with the market that's out there for Reed. I think that Clowney, there's clearly going to be a market for him. And it's just going to depend on where he falls into that. And I kind of wonder, too. If this is about the time where, you know, you have all of the general managers together, you have all of the agents together in the same place, if Jadevian Clowney is going to get an idea of what his worth is in free agency, and depending on what he hears over these, uh, over these next few days, could he have an idea of what his market is this time of year, even before you, kind of, you have to wait until free agency opens? I think you're absolutely right. I think, uh, you know, his agent is there. In fact... John said, uh, or somebody, I can't remember, somebody said that uh, they would be meeting with his agent during the combine. Um, that, that became evident. Mm-hmm. You know, John had mentioned that he had a great exit meeting, that he loves the culture, he loves the coaches, there's mutual interest there. They hope to re-sign him, um, and they want an opportunity to match, all that stuff. You, know, you can say all those things. But Jadavian Clowney is going to get paid a lot of money, um, probably close to $22, 23000000 million a year. And do the Seahawks want to pay that much for what is essentially the best defensive lineman we've had for a long time, but it's one guy and you're going to tie up that much cap into that one guy. Over the last couple of weeks, I've developed a little bit of reservation on paying that much to Jadavian Clowney. Uh, I don't know how you feel about it, Brandon, but it kind of freaks me out a little <laughs> bit. And I don't know exactly how I'm going to fall on it until probably it happens. If he's signed and he's back in the fold, I'm going to be really happy if they let him go and make that decision and try to spread that uh, risk, if you will, over two or three different players. I'm probably going to be okay with that too. How do you feel about it? It really depends on who they're able to get instead, right? Because if they get through free agency and they are able to bring in two guys who might come in under that dollar amount, but you can expect them to be a top level type player, then yeah, I'm I'm probably okay with it. If they're, gosh, you know, if they, I look back to 2013 and, you know, Going into that season, were we all that excited about Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett coming onto the team? I I don't know if I was because in that offseason, they weren't the big name guys, but obviously the Seahawks saw a lot in those two players. So, but obviously last season, you know, they they thought that they they had the answer with Ziggy Anza as a potential pass rusher, being the guy they signed in the offseason, at least willing to take a risk on him. And once they got to the preseason, they found out that they needed more. They were able to go out and get Clowney, but just that, that Anza never materialized was, it turned out to be a big issue for the team. So I don't know. I, I, I think I'd rather have the guy I know, especially, you know, hearing from John Schneider in the press conference saying, you know, at this point last year, they thought Frank Clark was going to be a member of the Seahawks. And so I think he's going into that now and maybe with the idea that, hey, it's okay at this point paying Clowney what he's worth 
and they have plenty of draft picks going into this draft. They're not in that same situation where they only had four picks going into the draft like they did last year. I think the Seahawks really do want to pay him and that he will get the deal that uh, that he's worth. Yeah, they do have a lot more flexibility this year. That's a great point. They've got a larger cap, somewhere in between 50 to $60 million to start. They've got some flexibility to, to increase that. Uh, they've got eight or nine picks in the draft. And it, it just seems like this is the year, too. Uh, the window seems wide open for the Super Bowl. If they can put it all together, free agency, the draft, you know, some some camp casualty cuts, you know, right before the season, maybe a trade, this could be the year. And so you want to be really uh, sure about this clowny deal, because this kind of sets up the way the entire offseason folds out after this. Absolutely. It, it is a critical decision in this offseason and and what they decide to do that, what they decide to do on the defensive line and other spots, what they decide to do on the offensive line. It's it's going to make a big difference going into this upcoming season. And I want to react to one other thing that John Schneider said, you know, Russell Wilson, a couple weeks back, he mentioned how the Seahawks and, and how he wanted superstars on the team. And Schneider, he expressed a little bit of disappointment in Russ, but it wasn't because of the superstars comment. It was because Russell Wilson cut his hair. Yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. You know, I did see him walking onto the basketball court at, at the Stanford uh, ladies game. And uh, I was shocked when I first saw it. I was like, who's that? Oh, yeah. that's Russell. Hey, <laughs> back to back to quote unquote normal, you know, whatever that is. Yeah. But offseason Russ, man, he can do whatever he wants. I think it's awesome. It is pretty uh, funny. Know. But he did. He did kind of comment on too the fact that, yes, you know, Pete wants superstars on this team. I want superstars on this team. Russ wants superstars. We we all want superstars on this team. Like that's, you know, you want really good players. That is a given. <laughs> well, one piece of information he he put out there just as he was leaving the podium was interesting to me just because it's not something that I don't know if I've ever heard or really understood the way that teams go about putting together a draft board. And one of the things that Schneider mentioned is that they have 185 guys on the board right now with a plan to bring it down to 120. And I just I thought it was interesting that it's more of a process of elimination. And I guess I I never really understood how they went about that. But it's it's interesting to me, knowing that going into the combine that they have a large number of players to look at and that they're looking for reasons, essentially, to take guys off the board to narrow it down. Yeah, I've heard him actually say this before. I think he's mentioned it a couple a couple of years ago. In fact, uh, that they do start with a bigger board. They get it down to just the guys they really want that are, that are draftable Seahawks guys at the end, and that's 120, 125 guys. You know, they're constantly trying to figure out who the the person is and the makeup. One of the things I was thinking about out of these uh, press conferences today, Brandon, was that we all kind of know the same information. We all look at the same film and all that stuff. But one of the things that we're not privy to is the interview process, the character of, of some of these guys. And that's what they use these, this time at the combine for, um, they, they go back, they, they look at all of the workouts. They look at all the film of those, but he also said that they look at the interview film as well. They, they take the time to interview. They, they judge the character. They have multiple people talk to different guys. They pull guys aside out of different workouts and so forth. Um, are they on time? Do they care about 
you know, uh, their performance, um, do they seem aloof? All those kind of things kind of come into uh, factoring in the the character component of the way that they look at these things. And that's how that, that list goes from 185 to 120. You know, those 185 guys, those are good players, mm-hmm. but, but they want to get it down to the guys that are just sea hockey guys. Well, and you even think of some of the athletic testing that they look for. Uh, both Pete and John talked about wide receivers and you know, there's like a, just a clear demarcation of the, them looking for guys with 4-4 type speed out of the receivers. So that's going to be something to watch coming up this week in the combine. Absolutely. And yeah, you brought it up with uh, the interviews. And gosh, I just think back to the guys that they've challenged to staring contests and Michael Dixon, you know, you heard from him talking about how, how he got challenged to a staring contest. He, he said he had to do team. it. He had to do it three different times. The first time he he said he lasted like 18 seconds and he figured out a strategy where he would look all over the room and stuff and his eyes would be water. And then, you know, but darn it, he was going to make it, you know, they drafted him. It was crazy. Well, and I think it is, you know, there's got to be something to that, whether it's a guy's willingness to compete, you know, Pete Carroll always talks about always competing. And so if you're willing to compete and something as silly as a staring competition and, you know, you're taking multiple tries and trying to get it right. You know, I think it does say something about the character of a player. Yeah, no, no question. Yeah. And that's just the silly example. But there there are other countless examples of oh, guys. Gosh, yeah. You know, and then you look at guys like uh, DK Metcalf last year. And this DK Metcalf came up a lot in this press conference. Like, he, like everyone was trying to figure out why DK Metcalf was passed on last year. And Pete was like, hey, you know, I don't. But we, we thought he was everything that we thought he was going to be. Um, we didn't necessarily, we weren't going to take a pass on him. We were just lucky that he was able to fall down to us in the draft. And uh, he, he mentioned the fact that he took off his shirt in the interview and all that kind of stuff. And Pete threw off his shirt. And it was just one of those moments where you just knew he had to be a Seahawk. Let's talk more about Pete Carroll after the break. One other thing that came up in John Schneider's interview is uh, Greg Olson. With him coming to the team, Will Disley giving up number 88, and that'll be going to Greg Olson. So uh, interesting to hear that and Olson donating to a charity of Disley's choice. So that's nice to hear as well. But let's take a quick break. We'll come back and we will talk about some of the main takeaways from Pete Carroll's press conference. We are talking NFL Combine as Seahawks leadership was available to the media on Tuesday. Bill Alfstad from the Seahawks Playbook podcast joining the show. And Pete Carroll was on the podium Tuesday afternoon. And like we mentioned earlier with uh, John Schneider, he echoed that same message of pass rush is really something we're going to be focusing on. Yeah, you know, the, the, Pete didn't even open with a statement, really. He just kind of started taking questions. And the first thing out was, what are the expectations on the defense this side? And he says, well, you know, the, the turnovers are great in 2019, but we need to rush the passer. We mm-hmm. need to be able to rush the passer. And he said, uh, it'll be a big focus for us. And then he went on to say, pass rush is something we're really focused on. So he literally took three separate sentences to talk about the need for a good pass rush this year. And I completely agree with Pete. One of the cool things that I heard from Pete though, is that he has a clear expectation that this team can do something special coming up this season. And we talked about in the first half of the show, just, you know, what they do on the defensive line, some of the things that they could do on the offensive line and and how they make decisions going forward in this off season. It really is crucial 
coming up toward the next season. But just the idea knowing that this team is in that window, in the window of Russell Wilson's prime. They have a lot of, you know, great players around him with DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Bobby Wagner still effective on the defense. Bring back Clowney. You, you have another star on the defense. Even even the secondary feels like it's pretty well-rounded. Could they use a couple more veterans potentially? Could they use some rookies coming up behind them? Sure, for depth. But it feels like they have a lot of the the big pieces. And this this offseason is just going to be, you know, where can you plug in the guys to find, you know, either through free agency, whether it's bringing guys up through the offseason, but the idea that you are now shooting for something special in this upcoming year, upcoming two years, potentially. And that's definitely on the mind of Pete Carroll. Wow, Brandon, you have me convinced. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you know, you said it all. We've got all the pieces, you know, or at least quite a few of the pieces in order to be able to compete for a Super Bowl. We really do. You solve the pass rush, you get a defensive tackle, uh, whether that's Jaron Reed or somebody else in free agency or the draft. You go solidify your nickel uh, corner spot, maybe on the outside. They might want to give Flowers another year. I, I certainly wouldn't be opposed to that. And then on the offensive side, you're really almost set. You might need to solidify that tight end position. Even with Greg Olson, they might draft a guy that they could develop. Sure. Uh, Greg Olson's only under contract for a year, and he is 35, 36 years old. They might need a third wide receiver, but the, the, the foundation that you described is there. And I do believe that the window is wide open. And anytime you have Russell Wilson as your quarterback, he's going to give you seven, eight games just by himself. And then you add pieces around him. I think we could definitely be competitive with the 49ers this year uh, to try to take back the NFC West and to give ourselves uh, uh, the best position to, to go past that. Yeah, and maybe I'm taking on some of Pete Carroll's optimism. And, and nothing <laughs> what he's saying is necessarily groundbreaking that that they, you know, he always wants to have a competitive team, but just the way that he talked about it, it just, it, uh, again, it's acknowledging the things that we've been talking about over these past few weeks. And even in the case of <laughs> the idea of what, what he said is, you know, we could make games a little easier on ourselves, kind of acknowledging the fact that they played that in a lot hilarious. of close games this last season. And, uh, I, I just, I liked hearing that. Yeah, they were in, what, what, nine or ten one-score games in 2019. And I think they would like to make it a little better. Mm -hmm. You know, when you take a look at the point differential that they had, uh, it was only within, like, uh, 0.4 points, I think, over the, the, the course of the year. They, they outscored the defense uh, by 0.4 points per game on average with a seven- or eight-point overall differential for the entire season. Yeah. And I think that they would like the offense to either stay the same or, or increase slightly, but they want to take the 24 points a game that the defense has given up and they want to get that down to, to at least 20 or below. And if that happens, they could take the next step. Um, they could win 11, 12 games. Um, 11 would be, would be the same, but 12 would be a nice little bump there. Give them a chance to take the division, get home field. Um, and I think that's going to be the key. He did say that, you know, a couple inches here and there, it could have been a little bit different. And I, I think that points toward that final game of the season, obviously against the 49ers, where they come up just a couple inches short of the goal line. They could have had a home game uh, to, to start the playoffs. It would have been the, the three seed. And gosh, you know, think about how differently things could have gone if injuries weren't such a big issue. 
losing to Arizona late in the season. But, uh, you know, the the inches, I suppose, go both ways, too, because you think to 49ers game and the Rams game earlier in the season where uh, missed field goals were, were part of those wins as well. So it, it can go both ways. I don't know if he was referring to it uh, specifically to that that 49ers game. But, you know, when you're getting as many turnovers as you are and not able to capitalize on them, as they were or between whether or not that's the offense not able to capitalize or the defense giving up too many points, you know, for a season where they had so many turnovers, you do expect a little bit more in terms of uh, that uh, per game average where where you feel like you should dominate teams a little bit more. I think. Yeah, they were close to the, you know, last in the league in pass rush, pass rush, win rate, all those things, 27, 28th in the NFL, just not going to get it done. You know, and, and you're pairing that up with a top 10 offense. Um, well, you've got to give your offense a few more opportunities because it is so good and they're very efficient. Uh, you want to hand them as many opportunities as you can. Now, those turnovers help, but that pass rush is key. Also, the pass rush really does uh, help the, the back end. Uh, so when you when you look at a guy like Trey Flowers in his second year struggling a little bit, I think this year we give him a little bit more pass rush. I think flowers becomes a better corner actually from that. And so I'm really interested to see, because I do believe they're going to throw everything and the kitchen sink at the pass rush this year to solve that problem. Free agency, the draft camp cuts, whatever they need to do, it's going to be solved. And so uh, for me, I'm very excited, you know, as far as uh, taking a look at a brand new defense this year, that's maybe closer to, you know, 15 overall, uh, I don't know if they're going to jump, you know, from the mid twenties to a top 10 defense, but it's, it's going to be improved. Yeah. And just hearing the fact that it is going to be a focus is important. Now you brought up the corners and, and maybe the need to push flowers a little bit. One of the things I heard from Pete Carroll is that, that he thought that flowers took a good step forward this last year. And just the way that he talked about the pairing of flowers and Griffin on the outside at corner it made me think that that's that's going to stay stable in this next year, I think. And you know, like I said, could they bring in a, a rookie, you know, draft another guy in the fifth, sixth round where they really like how he's built and and could potentially push flowers. But I didn't get the sense that, from Pete Carroll that that's going to be a focus. Well, you're, you're right about maybe drafting somebody in the later rounds. I mean, when you take a look at, uh, behind flowers and Griffin, we don't really have too much there. Thorpe was there. He got injured. More of a special teams guy. Uh, King is there, but he's also a free agent. Um, Amadi's there in the slot. They like him, but they didn't trust him even through the last weekend of the of the season. And so you don't know for sure if they really are comfortable with Amadi taking that uh, that nickel corner spot or not. That might be something that they look at in the draft um, to draft a nickel corner specific kind of role player. And last year, the defense really played a base four three defense a lot more than I thought they would. It, it turned into a little bit of a liability for them. I wouldn't surprise me at all if they kind of get back into that nickel dominant sort of defense where the nickels out there 60 to 70% of the snaps this year, as opposed to this last year, what was closer to 30. One of the things that you brought up in the first half of the show is how much that Pete Carroll talked about DK Metcalf. And that was something that definitely jumped out to me. It was even a little bit surprising. And I guess when you think of it in the context of just the miss of, you know, so many teams, the fact that he fell to the end of the second round, it was a big surprise. And the other thing, just hearing from Pete Carroll, 
is the expectations that he now has for DK Metcalf going into next season. He talked about Russ, you know, spending a lot of time this offseason with Metcalf and the idea of of building more chemistry, DK coming back with a new level of confidence uh, just based on the success that he had in the first season and more of an opportunity to work with veterans like Tyler Lockett. He has high expectations for DK Metcalf now going into year two. It's funny. uh, Last year, uh, when Keith and I were doing our show, we were always trying to temper the expectations for DK Metcalf uh, because uh, of the superlatives that you were hearing out of camp. (laughs) In fact, from Pete Carroll, he was all over DK Metcalf last year. And so expectations were high for him, but he exceeded every single one of those. It was it was unbelievable. And if you're a Seahawk fan, it's really hard not to get excited about year two of DK Metcalf. Um, Pete talked about just having DK Metcalf fine tune his off season, um, that his mentality is a difference maker with him, that he's got the right stuff, that there's no limits. So if you heard Pete Carroll talk today in that press conference, you got pretty darn excited about DK Metcalf in year two. Well, and, and you and Keith both were trying to temper expectations. I felt like I was trying to temper expectations a little bit just because that transition from college to the NFL for a lot of wide receivers is difficult to pick up. You don't see, I, I think back to Golden Tate, you know, a guy that was picked up in round two. It wasn't until really like year three that you saw him starting to show the type of receiver that he could be in the NFL. There's just, there are not a lot of guys who come right in that first year. And even Doug Baldwin, I mean, incredible rookie season, especially being an undrafted free agent. You just don't see too many guys able to make that transition right away. And so when I heard Pete Carroll talking about it in the press conference and and saying, you know, how interesting this draft is for wide receivers and that idea of the challenge being trying to identify the ones that can make that quick transition to the NFL, how that is something that they're going to be looking for in the draft. And I do think that they take that interview process uh, that we talked about earlier And they really look at how guys conduct themselves, how guys interview, what's their work ethic, uh, how seriously do they take their job, Mm -hmm. uh, which is going to become their job from, you know, right before this process. It's just been a fun thing, a sport, an unpaid hobby, if you will. Now it's their job. They're going to get paid a lot of money. They need to show up to work. They talk, uh, Pete talked about uh, Medcalf showing up early staying late, catching extra balls, working with Russell Wilson in the off season, all that kind of stuff. That's the kind of thing that they're looking for. So when you take a look at players and it just doesn't go for the wide receiver position, it goes for a lot of different positions. Some guys are ready day one and some guys aren't They need a couple, couple years to develop. And we saw that, uh, as you mentioned with golden Tate, it wasn't until year three until he really stepped up, um, and made himself, you know, separated from, from the others in the group. And, um, it'd be nice to find another guy. Obviously, I think the Seahawks are in the market for a number three wide receiver this year. Uh, you take a look at their roster that uh, Jerron Brown wasn't getting it done. Some of the other guys, um, for whatever reason, just haven't had the opportunity or haven't taken the next step. And so it'd be interesting to see what they do, um, at that position. Yeah, between Jerron Brown, David Moore, it does feel like there's an opportunity for someone to step into that third, that number three role. Now, is that going to be the number five pass catcher when you consider Greg Olson being on the field with Will Disley hopefully coming back and being healthy because they talked about the idea of having sets where both Disley and Greg Olson are on the field at the same time? You know, that could 
Uh, and when you have those two guys on the field at the same time, you're, you're looking at DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And, and then there's, you know, who else are you going to give the ball to? So I, I, I tell you, that, tell you what, Russell Wilson asked for weapons. We're going to yeah. give him some weapons. <laughs> yeah. And if they, and if they have solid options all the way down to number five, then if you, know, you have an injury issue like they had so often this season, it got to the point, shoot, where we brought back Marshawn Lynch to the team. And it was kind of interesting hearing even both from John Schneider, but from Pete Carroll too, just the way they talked about Marshawn Lynch and him coming back to the team and what he what he brought in terms of his mentality coming back to the team. You know, they both sounded open to the idea of him potentially coming back next season. You know, what kind of role that might be, who knows? But that definitely Lynch definitely seemed to make an impression in this return here to the Seahawks team. It's very clear when you hear Pete talk about Marshawn Lynch that it's an exceptional impression, not just an impression. It's an exceptional thing for him. Um, He loves Marshawn. He likes the way that Marshawn integrates into the uh, running back room for the Seahawks, the way that he rubs off on all the other guys, not just in the running back room, but all the other guys, mostly on offense, but some on defense as well. He's just a pro's pro, you know, The, the, the cameras capture him goofing off or not being attentive or whatever. But when you take a really close look at what Pete Carroll says and what his teammates say, that tells you everything you need to know about Marshawn Lynch. While we're talking about running backs, Bill, I I wanted to bring up uh, Rashad Penny came up in terms of injury updates. You know, even even though it's February, yes, we're still looking for injury updates when we go into these press conferences and the timeline for Rashad Penny, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense that there's a good chance that he's not going to be available for the start of the season. Pete Carroll acknowledges that a little bit, saying that it is the kind of timing that might take you into PUP to start the season. I I know he never wants to be definitive about saying uh, guys don't have a chance at coming back for week one, but it really does seem like there's something that uh, the Seahawks might end up doing at running back to uh, as a precautionary measure, as a as a measure of depth, you know, they are going to lose uh, C.J. Procise likely this offseason. I don't see him being a guy that they resign. So uh, when I hear John Clayton talking to John Schneider after the after he was up on the podium and saying that there's no doubt they'll be addressing the running back position, I, I tend to think that they're probably going to do it through the draft and not through free agency because free agency can be so expensive. But running back will be an area that they do address. You know, I, that is not the first time that they've said that, that Penny may have a longer road ahead of him um, than just a simple ACL uh, repair. I think they came out right at the, the end of the season. Now they've come out in this press conference and said that he may not be ready uh, for either training camp or possibly uh, by the, by the first game. And so absolutely that's a clear signal to me that they're going to be addressing the running back position. And I don't believe that they would go into the draft without already having addressed that at some point in free agency. Now, do I expect them to get a frontline guy uh, at that running back position like Derrick Henry from the Titans? No, Derrick Henry would be an outstanding, perfect fit as a Seahawk. He's got Seahawks written all over him, but they probably want to take a look at a uh, a lower level uh, guy, an older guy, maybe even Marshawn Lynch coming back. Uh, Carlos Hyde's out there. Uh, Lamar Miller, the both Texan running backs. Uh, Kenyon Drake had a really nice kind of step out year, uh, mostly for the Cardinals. Eight games, 643 yards rushing, eight TDs. 
uh, 5.2 yards per carry, a guy that can come in and hold down the fort for a little bit for Penny. Okay. If Penny starts the year on the PUP list, he's going to go to week eight until he can come back. You need a guy that's going to be able to back up Chris Carson. Uh, looks like Homer's going to be able to be the guy that, that takes the third down, uh, receiver out of the backfield role. Uh, but somebody has got to be there to take six to eight touches a game in that between the tackle role. And you need a pretty decent running back to do that. Now I do expect them to draft uh, a running back as well. Maybe not until the later rounds. Uh, Chris Carson's in a contract year as well. Mm-hmm. So you're going to take a look at hedging that. So uh, I do believe that they could probably have another couple running backs by the time training camp starts. Well, Bill, I uh, really want to thank you for coming on, helping break this down. You know, there was that's uh, going to give us a lot to talk about moving forward through the offseason. I know you and Keith are going to be talking about it. Uh, what do you guys have planned coming up? What are some of the things you guys have been doing this offseason? Well, we've uh, revamped our website just a little bit, kind of cleaned it up. Uh, we we did a new logo. Uh, this week, we're doing a, a combine preview show. Uh, we're recording on Thursday. It'll be out on Friday, so you can listen to it as you're watching uh, some of the workouts. And we'll just kind of be going through the process, uh, touching base on a few players to watch for, uh, some of the different uh, workouts uh, that they have incorporated into this year's uh, combine, as well as uh, the combine itself going prime time, which is interesting. Uh, and then we'll be looking at the draft uh, and free agency. And uh, we're on 52 weeks a year and haven't missed an episode in uh, over three years now. That is tough to do. And uh, if people want to go and find it, where do they go? They go to uh, SeahawksPlaybook.com. You can find us on Twitter at Hawks Playbook or Keith is at Myers NFL uh, on Twitter. And I am at NW Seahawk. Bill Alfstad, SeahawksPlaybook.com. Be sure and check it out. Subscribe to the podcast. Bill, thanks again. Appreciate you coming on the show. We'll look forward to talking to you more this offseason. Brandon, it's my pleasure. Thank you. <laughs>